buttons and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox fabric sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our fabric sanitizer products. Search fabric sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. Across the country, hate crimes are on the rise by more than 25% in the last five years. The good news is there's something you can do about it right here in your community. If you witness or experience a hate crime, you're not alone. And the FBI is here to help and commit it to justice. Report hate crimes at 1-800-CALL-FBI or tips.fbi.gov. Protecting our communities together. Report hate crimes. Not long after midnight on Saturday, November 25th, 1978, Marc Patineau and his friend Normand Desilets beat up a man in a restaurant in Montreal's East End. Unknown to Patineau and his friend was that the man they left on the floor of Chez Larry was Detective Sergeant Normand Ostegui of Montreal Police's anti-gang squad. Un peu plus haut, un peu plus loin Je veux aller un peu plus loin Je veux voir comment c'est là-haut De mon bras me tient ma main un peu plus haut, un peu plus loin. Arrest warrants were drawn up. Désilé was brought in without incident. The arrest of Marc Patineau went horribly wrong. Or did it? When police stormed his basement apartment, the first officer to breach the front door saw Patineau pointing a gun in his direction. Shots were fired. In the confused melee that followed, Marc Patineau bled to death from a severed artery in his thigh. Finally succumbing to his wounds in an ambulance, which took 90 minutes to get to his home in Pointe-aux-Trembles. That is one version of this story. Today, L'Affaire Patineau. This is who killed Teresa. Version 2. The following is taken from the coroner inquiry and reports conducted by Montreal coroner Roche Herrault. Testimony began in January of 1979 with Herrault 
submitting his final report in August of that year. It's worth noting that from the time of Patino's death to Hero's final verdict um, nearly a year later, uh, very little of this was reported in the media. Most of the headlines in November of 1978 were filled um, with the aftermath of the Jim Jones and uh, Jonestown Massacre in Guyana. It would take a full decade before L'Affaire Patinon came to light in the English media, although certainly um, some papers like the French Le Devoir and um, La Presse, in two instances that I can count, reported on uh, the coroner's inquiry. At approximately 9 p.m. on the evening of November 28, 1978, the Montreal police deployed a SWAT squad armed with military-grade weapons to round up four suspects, two of whom were Patinon and Désilé. We don't know the others. The team was under the command of Sergeant Normand Roy and included five other officers, André Oumet, Réjean Poulain, Urgel Nadeau, Noël Le Duc, and Jacques Lablanc. They headed first to Désilé's residence on the Rue Notre-Dame in Pointe-aux-Trembles. According to Roy, Désilé was not armed and offered no resistance. The squad then headed for Patino's apartment on the same street as Désilé's at 10965 Rue Notre-Dame. At the apartment entrance, Roy shouted, Police! and demanded that the occupants immediately open the door. Next, officers Oumet and Leduc deployed a battering ram and knocked down the front door. Uh, at this point, the team encountered a second door, and Constable Oumet testified that he could see someone armed with a gun, aimed towards the officers. Seeing that Constable Oumet was now in danger and just inches from the armed man, Sergeant Roy shoots three bursts from his military-style M16, representing about 21 shots from the semi-automatic rifle. When the dust had settled, they find Patineau bleeding to death on his kitchen floor. Lying next to him is a Smith & Wesson revolver. Patineau dies in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And Coroner Harrow exonerates the officers, suggesting Mark Patineau was responsible for his own death. Marc Patineau died on November 28, 1978, in Montreal, following a violent death without any criminal responsibility on the part of anyone. Coroner Roche, Hero.
petite que je sois Mais tu ne me vois pas Who is the coroner? In Quebec cases, we hear a lot about the influence of the coroner. For example, in the Hélène Hertubis case that we covered last summer, there's much to suggest that coroner Anne-Marie David more often than not worked in the interest of police rather than in, in the interest of justice. Why did the Quebec coroner wield so much power? The following is largely taken from uh, journalist John Cruikshank uh, and was written in 1980. So a lot has changed today with the coroner's office. But this, this, this was the framework under which Quebec uh, coroners operated in the 70s and 80s. The, the coroner's office dates back at least as far as uh, William the Conqueror's invasion of Britain, UK, in uh, 1066. It was introduced in Quebec under the British authority and won a place in law uh, with the Quebec Act of 1774. Until 1892, Quebec's coroner and his jury were primarily focused on cases of murder and manslaughter. If the coroner's court found evidence that a crime had been committed, the coroner was empowered to bring a charge against a material witness and send him before the superior court for trial. A similar system existed in Britain until 1977, when the law was changed, stripping coroners of their legal powers, but expanding their responsibilities to recommend measures which would prevent future deaths. Since 1892, when the last uh, really massive rewrite of the legislation was attempted, the Quebec coroner has been empowered to investigate sudden and violent deaths with criminal causes. Now, an, an American probably doesn't understand the coroner system at all. Cities like uh, New York and Los Angeles long ago abandoned the coroner's office and coroner's inquests and opted um, for what American is probably more familiar with, the um, medical examiner system. So if you're in America from this era in the 70s, your guy is Jack Klugman as Dr. Quincy, a forensic pathologist with the powers of a coroner. Gentlemen, we're about to enter the fascinating sphere of police work, the world of forensic medicine. Quincy ran from 1976 to 1983. So those kind of prime years we've been dealing with for the last three years that we've pretty much stayed in that area. And at that time, a Quebec coroner wasn't really anything like the Jack Klugman character. There were six full-time coroners, three in Montreal, 
two in Quebec City and one who acted as a a rover traveling around the province. The coroner was appointed by the Minister of Justice and had the legal status of a justice of the peace. (laughs) That's right. Great power, but technically little more than a preacher. Sure, they might be a doctor like Quincy, but more often than not, coroners in Quebec were notaries or lawyers. So in in a lot of these cases we've been dealing with, periodically the coroner comes up, right? And um, it confuses me even. It's like, what the, what the heck? You know, there's another coroner's inquiry, which seems to be its its own quasi-judicial procedure before an arrest is even made, before something can even possibly go to trial, which um, is just, it's kind of baffling uh, to me. And, um, you know, Coroner Herot, um had a hand in, in a lot of these cases. He was a coroner. As I say, it's through the seventies and eighties. Um, I so I think he was the lead coroner on uh, Sharon Pryor, Denise Bazinet, uh, Joanne Dorion, um, um, you know, on and on and on. And certainly, anyone the ones around Montreal, and there wouldn't have been, as we said, a separate coroner for Longay and for Laval. Right? He was the guy in that area. It wasn't the guy for Teresa. Teresa had the rover, right? My sister's case. The guy, his name was Michel Derain. But the coroner wielded an awful lot of power, and it's sometimes confusing. But in a in a 1980 interview, Coroner Roche Herot, he from the Patineau shooting, gave a very detailed and practical explanation of how the Quebec coroner's office um, operated back in the day. Um, And this is from the interview. If a person finds a body and sees that it's murder, they should first notify the police homicide branch. They have all the expertise and equipment to gather evidence on the spot. When they are done, they send the body to me at the morgue. I'll ask the pathologist to perform an autopsy and declare the case a violent death. The police proceed with their investigation, and when they have found a suspect, they come to me with a demand for arrest. I provide them with a coroner's warrant. And that that is an important point, and we'll come back to that. I provide them with a coroner's warrant, and the suspect is arraigned before me. I can then grant bail or hold the person as a material witness until an inquest is convened. But the inquest must be convened within a week, or I have to let the suspect go. At the inquest, the coroner hears testimony and may even question witnesses himself whenever he feels some point has been ignored by the Crown Prosecutor. At the close of the inquest, the coroner must determine whether a death was the result of a criminal act. If possible, he must then determine who is criminally responsible. 
There is no legal means to appeal a coroner's verdict, but the Minister of Justice may decide not to act on his recommendations. But I don't know of a case where the minister has not followed a criminal negligence decision with a prosecution. Coroners play a very valuable function in overseeing police investigations. We're here so that the police themselves can't prefer charges and our inquests ensure that people aren't accused uselessly. Version 3. There were two other people in that Point au Tremble apartment the night of the SWAT team raid. Marc Patino's 18-year-old wife, Donna, and their 18-month-old baby girl, Luvia. If the Minister of Justice... Marc-André Bedard wouldn't appeal Coroner Hergul's verdict. She would have to take matters into her own hands. In 1979, Donna Patinaud filed a lawsuit against the six Montreal police officers responsible for killing her husband. Donna Patino's version of events are very different from the police account. The family was sitting down to dinner. Moments before police crashed through the door, Marc Patino was holding Luvia in his arms. When police shot him, it wasn't a revolver in his hand. It was a plate of spaghetti. Donna dove for the ground, covering her baby, taking two bullets in the ass. While Mark Patino lay dying on the floor, police refused to allow Donna to treat his wound. They also refused to allow her to feed her baby a bottle of milk. Police rushed Donna Patino in the early hours of the morning to the police station where they interrogated her and made her give a testimony in which she was forced to say Marc Patino had a weapon in the house. And one wonders what Luvia was doing during all this. Donna Patino disputed Normand Roy's claim that he shouted, uh, Police! prior to crashing through the door. A neighbor who observed the incident corroborated this saying the police failed to identify themselves. The only words anyone recalls the police saying were, Get up out of there, you bloody bastard. Stories differ about the beating of the anti-gang detective 
Sergeant Norman Ostegi, the incident that preceded the raid. No doubt it touched off feelings of revenge among his police colleagues. As Donna Petino's lawyer expressed it, it was like saying you have touched one of mine, I will use all my resources to get even. It was also unusual for the matter to be taken out of the hands of the local police station and given to a SWAT team. It was argued that the Smith and Wesson revolver recovered at the scene was most likely a police plant, having no blood or Patino's prints on it. Ostegi's beating, though severe, hardly justified the coroner issuing warrants for attempted murder. Also in dispute were the SWAT team leader Norman Roy's claim that Norman Desilets, the, the accomplice with uh, Patino, that his arrest was without incident. One guy came at me with his rifle. They knocked me down. They started to hit me with rifles, feet, fists, everything, Desilets later said. When Donna Patino gave her account of what happened the night of November 28, 1978, family members, her own family members were skeptical. I said to her, the police don't do things like that, recounted Réjean Patineau. Marcel Patineau stated, people want to believe in the police. When you're not involved, you don't know that such things are possible. Like a circle in a spiral Like a weed within a weed Never ending or beginning On an ever spinning reed Like a snowball down a mountain Or a carnival balloon Like a carousel that's turning Running rings around the moon Like a clock whose hands are sweeping Past the minutes of its face And the world is like an apple Whirling silently in space Like the circles that you find In the windmills of your mind In 1988, ten years after the shooting, the six members of the Montreal Urban Community Police SWAT team were ordered to pay $250,000 in damages to Donna Patinod for the raid that killed her husband. Quebec Superior Court Justice Paul Martineau said that the SWAT methods were like using a sledgehammer to kill a mosquito. It did not end there. Police appealed the verdict when the Quebec Court of Appeal again sided with Donna Patineau, police took the matter to the Supreme Court of Canada. In 1995, 16 years after Marc Patineau's death, the Supreme Court refused to hear the appeal of the Montreal Urban Community Police and ordered them to pay what then amounted to a half a million dollars in damages. 
Donna Patino stated that her case should send a message to police officers. Quote, that when they do something wrong, they have to answer for it, like everyone else. The six officers, Norman Roy, André Oumet, Noël Leduc, Urgel Nadeau, Réjean Poulain, and Jacques Lablanc, had all retired from the force between 1986 circles that you find in the windmills of your mind Jean-Claude Bernheim is a criminologist in Quebec and specifies in research on uh, sociological theory with a particular emphasis on the rights of the incarcerated. In 1979, he wrote a lengthy piece in Le Devoir about uh, L'Affaire Patinaud. And then in 1980, he wrote a book, uh, Les Complices, Police, Coroner et Morts Suspects, Loosely translated, that means partners in crime, the police, the coroner, and suspicious deaths. So that gives you a little idea of whose side that Bernheim is on. Um, and in the book, Bernheim covers L'Affaire Patineau. In fact, it's the first chapter. Last March, I had the opportunity to interview Bernheim. And uh, I'll just share with you some of the things he said. Incidentally, my copy of uh, the book, uh, Les Complices, um, actually, um, I bought used online and only to discover that it's the prison copy, (laughs) a discarded prison copy from the Bordeaux prison in Montreal. (laughs) Anyway, um... So Bernheim told me that uh, in the era of the 1970s, right up until 1986, when the laws changed, the coroner worked with police forces and that the coroner, quote, made decisions not on facts, but in the interest of police. He went on to say that when police officers were involved in a case, meaning when they were potentially implicated in an investigation, the coroner, especially Roche Hero, always takes the side of the police. That last part is in quotes from, quote, when police officers are involved to the side of the police, end quote. If you don't respond to the coroner, you can be held responsible and your testimony can be used against you, 
he said. Finally, I asked him if it were possible for a coroner to lie in the interests of the police. Bernheim's response, fully. Before we get to the button, uh, I want to pause and um, acknowledge the music today uh, is uh, Quebec's uh, Jeanette Renault and Long before Céline or Marie May in the 70s, we had uh, Jeanette uh, Renault. She was kind of like our uh, Barbara Streisand growing up. And um, uh, most popular in French, uh, but her number one hit, her biggest hit was an English song, um, Beautiful Secondhand Man, which uh, in the 70s kind of sounded like a Laura Nero song uh, to me. Like wedding bell blues or something. Jeanette Renault was known for a number of things um, in Quebec, but not without controversy. Um, in in two thousand, she shocked many by attending the uh, the, the wedding of um, a Hell's Angel. Rene uh, Charbois um, was paid a million dollars to attend the wedding and, and sing, and she was seen posing for pictures with um, uh, Morris' mom Boucher. Um, so nevertheless, this did cause some controversy. Um, I suppose, you know, to put a bright spin on things, you, you know, if, if the Hells Angels in Quebec want you to do something, there's only so many times you can refuse them before you have to go, although they did pay her a million dollars. So uh, there's that. Um, in, in 2014, uh, she stunned people uh, shortly after... Um, heart surgery um, during the Montreal Canadiens playoff run uh, she came out of the first game and sang the national anthem um, and you know there she is in a Habs jersey and she brought down the house The song uh, Jeanne Renault is most famous for is uh, called uh, Un peu plus haut, un peu plus loin, uh, a little higher, a little further. It's what we played twice at the beginning. Um, a little higher, a little further. I want to go a little further. I want to see how it is up there. Keep my arm, hold my hand. Um, this became her, her her diva anthem, and uh, you know, I, I asked a friend of mine who lives in Quebec, uh, who is who, who is Quebecois, uh, what I might not understand about that song, and uh, uh, being English, what someone who's English 
might not quite understand about the ethos of uh, Jeanette Renault. And, and she said, you know, that song was written by um, a, like a folk artist and he didn't get much success with it, uh, Jean-Pierre Ferland. Um, but when Jeanette Renault performed it uh, at the Saint-Jean-Baptiste holiday in 1975 or, um, on Mount Royal, sort of the turning point with the song and that's when it became associated with it and un peu plus haut un peu plus loin speaks to the notion that Quebecers can dream and um, sometimes you know their reach exceeds their grasp in and always hoping always aspiring to a, a better future Coda Version 4 In everything that has been said in the media about L'Affaire Patinot, both in English and French, one very important detail is often left out. Marc Patinot was a member of the Outlaws motorcycle gang. His full name was Jean-Marc Patinot. And he wasn't just a member of the Outlaws, he was the muscle, the right-hand man of Ziggy Wiseman, a man who controlled prostitution in Montreal in the early 1970s before committing suicide in December 1978, just weeks after Patino's death. La Presse understood this when reporter Lise Benzi said as much in March 1979 in an article on the coroner inquiry process. But that's the only time the underworld connection comes up it's never mentioned in the English language newspapers. I mean, as I said, it, it took a full almost 10 years before uh, the, the English papers, the English media picked up on the story. They certainly didn't cover uh, the beating of Ostege or, or the, uh, uh, the ambush of Patino in um, 78 uh, uh, or the coroner's inquiry. Now, Donna Patino was English. She later moved back to Alberta and to uh, uh, BC to be closer to her mother. So one wonders is is um, as her process, as her legal process gained more and more exposure, did um, did did you know like outlets like the Montreal Gazette key in that they now had a uh, an English you know witness, somebody who could be a face for this for English readers, and then only then. Um, key into things and to give it attention. This is often the case in Quebec with these kind of stories. If you read only, you're going to get two versions of everything. There's there's the version in French and the version in English. And if you're only listening listening to one side, you only have half the story. Uh, it's a very, very complex and unusual situation. Why the Montreal Gazette never bothers to mention that... Uh, that Jean-Marc Patinot is uh, 
this muscle in the outlaws um, is is really uncertain. Um, were they solely interested in the angle of excessive force, and that 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 this element somehow made the issue more complex? I'm doubtful of that. Um, did they just choose to ignore it? Um, question is sort of lost to history. In his book on the Hell's Angels, uh, Yves uh, Lavigne uh, gives a different account of the beating of Normand uh, Ostegay. Ostegay was sipping coffee at the Chez Larry's. Patino and Normand Desilets confront Ostegay, telling him they don't like cops. So in this version, the two outlaw members know perfectly well that Ostegay works for the anti-gang squad. They then beat Ostegay senseless using ashtrays and sugar dispensers. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that this leads me to a different conclusion and uh, this the SWAT team raid on Patino's apartment was somehow justified. I'm just stating that in Montreal, just when you think you know the story, there's always another story. This is Who Killed Teresa, and I'm your host, John Allure. If you like today's uh, podcast, uh, please share it on social media. Uh, with a friend. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Justice Guy, uh, at J U S T U S G U Y. That's my personal handle. And then the uh, address for this uh, podcast is at Teresa Lore, at T H E R E S A A L L O R E. Follow us on Facebook. Um, there's a Facebook page called Teresa Lore the podcast um, and there's a website uh, teresalore.com t-h-e-r-e-s-a-a-l-l-o-r-e point com uh, not a lot visually today on the site but I do have pictures of um, um, the uh, man in charge of the SWAT raid Sergeant Normand uh, Roy Coroner Roche uh, Heru. Uh, Ziggy Wildman is here. I'm not going to post pictures of Donna Patinon and her daughter, although they do exist. You can find those on your own. Um, I think that's it for today. Uh, we're going to go out uh, with uh, un peu plus haut one more time. Um, this is the this is the probably the most famous version of duet she did um, with Céline Dion. Um, anyway, that's our podcast for today. Do yourselves a favor and go out and do something fun this afternoon and have yourselves a great, great day. Un peu plus haut, un peu plus loin Je vais aller encore plus loin Laisse mon bras, mais tiens ma main 
Je n'irai pas plus loin qu'il faut Encore un pas, encore un saut Une tempête et un ruisseau Prends garde, j'ai laissé ta main Attends-moi là-bas, je reviens Encore un pas, un petit pas Encore un saut et je suis là Là aussi je ne tombe pas Là où j'y suis, je ne tombe pas C'est moi, c'est moi Je te voyais le monde au fond là-bas C'est moi, c'est moi Tu ne me vois pas Plus loin, plus seul Je ne veux pas être comme moi toute seule Viens voir ici comme on est bien Quand on est haut, comme on est bien Plus haut, plus loin Je ne peux plus te tenir la main Dis-moi comment j'ai pu monter Comment descendre sans tomber Un peu plus loin, un peu plus fort Encore un saut, essaye encore Je voudrais te tendre les bras Je suis trop, je suis trop bas Encore un pas, encore un pas Tu pars, tu es trop loin Je t'aime
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Every advertiser knows the perfect campaign needs the perfect music to make it really pop. With Premium Beat, you get tracks produced by award-winning musicians working in world-class studios. So all of your videos will sound and feel professional. Best of all, unlike other music providers, our license gives you tracks for a lifetime. Pay once and never again. Save 25% on your next track. Just visit premiumbeat.com slash royalty dash free slash podcast to redeem your coupon. That's premiumbeat.com slash royalty dash free slash podcast.